Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. Today we are going to talk about a look ahead, a look ahead at the 2023 Missouri State Legislature. Part of the reason for starting this podcast was to help keep our members informed about what's going on in the world of advocacy and governmental relations. So today I've asked Denise Hasty, AGC of Missouri's Vice President for Advocacy and Public Relations, to join and talk about the details of what is exactly going to happen during 2023. Right, Denise? Thanks for asking me to be here. We'll try to predict as best as our crystal ball will allow. Wonderful. Well, to start with, let's talk about the actors who are on the stage because we had an election in November. Let's talk about the people who you are going to be dealing with this year and the difference between what we had in the past. Well, today at noon, the 102nd session of the Missouri General Assembly will begin officially, and we have sworn in 50 freshman representatives in the House. 50 out of? 163. That is 31% of that body will be newbies. And then there are eight first-time senators in that chamber. Seven of those, however, were state reps before, so they have a history. One of those has never served in the state legislature at all, and she's beginning in the Senate. So that'll be an interesting one to watch because generally you move from House to Senate. And that is eight out of how many? 34. So the House begins today with a ratio of 111 Republicans to 52 Democrats, roughly the same as before. There were several vacant seats, so it's not an even match. The Senate begins exactly as it was last session, 24 Republicans, 10 Democrats. We do have new leadership in both chambers. The House leadership speaker is, as of today, officially Dean Plocker, state representative from St. Louis County. And they have a new majority floor leader who is representative and surgeon from Lee Summit, Representative John Patterson. And then there is a new minority, same minority floor leader, and that is Representative Crystal Quaid from Springfield. She remains in office and as the majority leader. So really from the three major metropolitan areas in the state. Exactly. Very good representation of the people. In the Senate, the new Senate president pro tem is the former majority floor leader, which is Senator Caleb Rowden from Columbia. They have a new majority floor leader who is also from that area of the state, Senator Cindy O'Laughlin from Shelbina. And their minority floor leader, again, in that chamber stays the same as Senator J.J. Rizzo from Kansas City. It's interesting to note, anybody who's followed any of Missouri politics will know that the Senate was the chamber of dysfunction last year. After session, the official end of the conservative caucus was announced. Cindy O'Laughlin, now the majority floor leader, had been in that caucus but had left it long ago. However, she's a good person 
person, she's a trusted person by members of that former caucus, so she can negotiate with them and bring them to the table in ways that perhaps other majority floor leaders could not have. But it remains to be seen whether the conservative caucus is truly disbanded or not. Time will tell. Mm -hmm. Time will tell. So we know who's there. We know the layout of both the House and the Senate. I know that there have some significant issues that they're going to be dealing with that are going to affect each one of our AGC and Missouri divisions, the utility division, the highway and transportation division, and the building division. So where do you want to start? Which division you want to start with here? Let's start by saying that until the speechifying ends today of the new leaders, we really don't have a firm grasp on what their individual priorities are. We don't even know committee structures until later this week, maybe even early next week. So we're still learning, but we know of some things that are coming down the pike, which again, we don't know if they're the priority of the leadership, but we know what's coming down the pike. But we know what our priorities are to keep an eye on. You can start with, um, why don't we start with utility? All right, let's start with the utility infrastructure division. I know that there have been a lot of conversations over the last six, eight months about Missouri One Call System. As of the 1st of January, they changed their name from Missouri One Call to Missouri 811, moving ahead with the time. So in the spirit of moving ahead with the times, let's talk about the Missouri One Call legislation. And Missouri One Call, per se, as an entity, those words are not in. That's the name of the entity. It's not in statute. It's the Underground Safety Act. So there's no legislative change that would need to be made to accommodate their rebranding. But the One Call statutes, 811 statutes, which will be a difficult change for all of us to make nomenclature-wise, were enacted in 1986, and they've had almost no changes since then. But the AGC of Missouri, as the only construction trade association in the state that has all three construction divisions represented, feels that it is in a position to take the lead on some reform legislation to change the Missouri 811 statutes. We are purposely working very slowly, we want to... Let's say deliberately. Okay, deliberately. It's on purpose, yes. The reason for working so deliberately is to be inclusive of as many stakeholders as possible throughout the state, and there are a lot in the 811 realm. We had a stakeholders meeting before the holidays, invited over 70 entities, and still missed some. And those include... Those include everything from water districts to municipalities to the 811 board to home builders to electric companies, gas companies. Broadband service providers. Certainly, yes. There are a lot of stakeholders in this realm. So we brought them together, had a very conciliatory meeting. These meetings have notoriously been raucous, to put it lightly. Just had a conversation this morning with someone who said that their reports were that it was very cordial compared to prior meetings. So the initial foray into this area showed that there was some agreement that some changes 
could or should be made. Right. AGC put forth a list of kind of our wish list. There's no language available. We have not started on statutory language, but we put forth our ideas for discussion and there was good discussion. There was some opposition, obviously there's going to be, but it was it was good discussion for a great start. There will need to be more stakeholders meeting. We have to get some legislative language together. And, you know, we don't expect to file a bill till probably February. Again, trying to work out issues of various stakeholders and concerns as best as possible before we take it to a member of the legislature so we don't hand them a big problem. Sounds like some progress is moving forward then. It's just going to take time. And we have no, no real concern whether or not we actually pass this bill this session. It's pretty rare to file a bill and pass it the very first session, much less if you don't pre-file it before session starts, which we did not on purpose. It is not our necessary desire. If it happens, that would be serendipity, but we would rather do it right than to do it wrong and have to go back and fix it. Sounds like a good strategy, deliberate being the word. Yes. Let's move into the highway and transportation area because that is certainly a lot of things going on there. Well, if filing your own piece of legislation doesn't keep you busy, the transportation realm is going to keep us very busy this session. Senator Tony Lukemeyer from Northwest Missouri has already filed a couple of bills that AGCMO knows that it'll be supporting. There's one that will require the Highway Commission to publish the engineer's estimates and the project completion date upon bid opening. Many other states do that, and so we'd like that to take place here in Missouri. Provides more transparency for the overall operation? Certainly, and it gives information to those bidders that they're not currently privy to, and it would really help them to know and to learn from where they landed in the bid results. And there have been situations of projects being rejected that just create confusion and ill will, if you could put it that way, to try to make sure that there's better relations between the department and the contracting community. Right. If you're rejecting a bid because it, it exceeds the engineer's estimate, but you won't, you're not privy to what that engineer's estimate is, there's naturally going to be some distrust. Senator Luke Meyer has also filed a bill, which he had filed in previous sessions, to provide private contractors under contract with Missouri with the same sovereign immunity that the state has. And again, that's something that's pretty important to our general contractors working on highway projects. But it doesn't stop there. We're going to be playing defense on a few things. The one senator that I mentioned earlier that has no prior legislative experience has come out of the gate with a bill that would repeal the remaining fuel tax increase levels in the Senate Bill 262 that we passed in 2021. And the first two levels have been implemented, three levels to go, so it would eliminate those upcoming three levels if that was successful. Yeah, that's the way I understand it. It's my understanding this, first off, being a freshman with no legislative background, that may be a really big uphill push. It would have been an uphill push for a first-time senator anyway. And of course, we'll be there and we'll be opposing that. Senator Bill Eigel out of St. Charles, someone who has never supported the fuel tax and voted against and it. voted against right, has filed a bill that would create the Interstate 70 Improvement Fund. This sets a percentage of general revenue 
aside annually into this fund as well as dedicating any over a percentage of every overage at the end of a calendar year into this fund. In principle, AGC certainly would like to see any of these excesses in revenues, while there are plenty, to go to improvements of I-70. And for that matter, Missourians for Transportation Investment is also in that court. Neither are necessarily in support of Bill Eigel's bill with the details in it, but the concept certainly is supported. But we also know that the president pro tem of the Senate, Caleb Rowden, is not necessarily a fan of this particular bill. So that will not bode well for Senator Eigel, who also doesn't necessarily have a lot of friends in the Senate. As with many things in the legislature, people agree that I-70 needs to be improved. People agree that a third lane would be wonderful from St. Louis to Kansas City. How we get there and how it's funded is the issue. The state's sitting on what, $4 billion in excess revenues right now? Yes. That $4 billion could make a significant impact on that. However, certainly there are a lot of competing interests, and certainly people are going to have a lot of different ways to approach that needed improvement. Yeah, it's uh, good for the industry that we have a governor who definitely understands the transportation funding needs, but the line outside his office for a piece of these funds is quite long. So in the transportation area, we're playing both defense and offense this year, trying to hang on to the gains from 262 and then look ahead to what can be done on I-70. Right. And, you know, session starts today. Bill filing started December 1st, and there are almost 20 pieces of legislation that have been filed dealing with transportation-related issues, everything from constitutional amendments, federal funding impacts through state legislation, motor fuel tax apportionment, changes to that refund process that was part of the Senate Bill 262, repeals or sunsets of 262, ports bills, accountability bills. There are a lot. We're going to be pretty busy just following those. You know, we really didn't talk about ports that much, but there really is a lot of activity going on in the areas of the ports as far as the new method for moving containers on barge up and down the Mississippi River and the opportunities that are coming there with some port improvements in Missouri Mm -hmm. to help accommodate that and really turn Missouri into more of a transportation hub. Right. I think you'll see quite a bit of movement on the port in Jefferson County here on the sitting on the Mississippi. I think one of the issues right now, which may probably doesn't impact the building of a port, but the Missouri Mississippi River is very low. And um, I personally know barge management companies that are struggling trying to get their barges up and down the river. Super low right now. Yeah. 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 Finally, in the area of the building, folks, I know there are some things that have to deal with contract language related to what we refer to in the industry as pay if paid or pay when paid. What's going on there? Well, that's contained in the private prompt pay laws here in the state of Missouri. And there are efforts afoot to file legislation that has not yet been filed, I'll point out, that would change both the private and the public prompt pay statutes. 
AGC of Missouri is a major stakeholder in that group, and we have sat through two or three meetings discussing the ins and outs of, of the bill that would be presumably filed. The AGC's Government Affairs Committee and the Board of Directors has reviewed two different versions of the private prompt pay bill and have not given a nod of approval to either. Let's give a little background on this before we get into the details of it, because really this started in the state of Virginia, that there was a bill passed that in essence outlawed pay-if-paid language in private contracts or public contracts, which basically says that if an owner does not pay a contractor, the contractor is still liable to pay all the subcontractors and suppliers, even though those resources have not been obtained from the owner, which basically turns the contractor into a bank or into a funding stream or whatever. So the, the liability all lies with the contractor then. The owner has no responsibility in that scenario if you get into a pay-if-paid situation. It's not the owners that are really pushing this. It's more the people down the chain who stand the likelihood of also not getting paid if they have provided concrete and asphalt and glass and sheetrock and electrical supplies and then the general contractor doesn't get paid who's on the hook for all that that's the issue correct correct and the general contractor has his own his or her own issues to look at when they're approving payments when a payment from a subcontractor or supplier has been submitted they have to look at the is the lien waiver documentation correct are the things that impact their insurance coverage, which therefore impacts the whole project, is that paperwork in order? There are a plethora of of um, details. details and liability kinds of issues that a general contractor has to look at that has really nothing to do with whether the work submitted on that pay app has been performed or even performed to satisfaction, which is a whole nother issue. All requirements that are in the original contract. Correct, correct. You know, we've even found in some discussions that some of the lower tier contractors are under the misperception that a general contractor gets a down payment from the owner when they sign on as the general for a project. Now, while that may happen in private home construction, it certainly doesn't happen with a general commercial contractor. So nothing's been filed in this yet. The Virginia law is still in effect. Where do you see this headed in this session? Well, it was my understanding or my guesstimation that there would be a bill pre-filed. But again, AGC has looked at two versions of the private prompt pay bill and has taken opposition positions on both. And the second version was, to be clear, an attempt to get AGC support. And while there were significant changes, there's still significant problems from our view. So right now, we're just waiting. I'm either waiting to get another version to review for our board to take a look at, or we are waiting on a bill to be filed. So in all three of these instances, what do I, as a business owner or a contractor or a member of the general public or somebody in the construction community, 
How do I stay in touch with it, and what do I do about it? We have one of the best lobbying firms lobbying on behalf of AGC and its members in the Capitol. That's Gibbons Workman. They've been on our team for years and years. They are down there and in the Capitol every day that it is open. I am there from time to time, but I'm managing every strategic process that we do from here, wherever here is, whether it's here or the Jefferson City office or somewhere else. But we have mechanisms for members to be engaged. And it's important because I don't have anything to do with electing 162 of the 163 House representatives. I only help elect one. My voice as a lobbyist can be discounted because I'm paid to do this as well as our team. They're good experts. But what we need are individuals who can go to the Capitol with a little bit of debriefing by AGC staff before you go as a team in a small group, so you're not going to be alone. Go in and meet with your state rep and your state senator. It speaks volumes that you took the time to go to the Capitol and tell them why Bill 123 is important to you constituent visits mean a lot more than a lobbyist visit. They certainly cover a totally different base. They carry weight that a lobbyist can't carry because I can't go back and vote for them. We can be a resource, but they prefer a resource within their district. So if they know they've got a general contractor who understands the prompt pay issue, for instance, they may call that person. It's still AGC as a as a resource, but it, it's just good for them to know who they have in their constituency. Just like they don't get very many emails from constituents, they don't get very many visits either. So how do I go about doing that? Because you organize those on a regular basis so that if I've never been to Jefferson City before, never been in the state capitol before since maybe grade school, what do I do? In 2019, we started a program called Contractors Speak Up, and those are designed for these grassroots types of efforts, and our lobbyists are not engaged in this at all. I am the only one that's engaged in it. We meet first in our Jeff City office. There are eight dates offered in 2023, and you come to the Jeff City office. We talk about a few issues. We don't ask those individuals to get in the weeds on those issues, just top line kind of thing. And if you have an opinion of how it's going to impact you personally, your company, the company you work for, your wallet, then you can speak to that. If I show up and say, hey, I had a project delayed because it was mismarked or the marking was late, or I work for a paving company and they need to make sure that the funding is there so I can continue to work, or if I'm impacted by the contract language based on the prompt pay statutes, I can speak to it from a business perspective as opposed to a hypothetical. Yes, and you know none of us that are lobbying on behalf of AGC have ever been a contractor. So you can speak from the heart where I speak from the heart, yes, but I don't live it experience. Yes, exactly. So there are eight dates, and the easiest thing to do is to check the newsletter that came out yesterday at three o'clock. There's an advocacy article, and there's a link to the form that you need to fill out there. But if you don't choose to do that, or you can't find the newsletter in your inbox, call any of the offices, and they'll get you connected to me or to the form. 
Contractor Speak Up Days and stay tuned and watch the website, watch for the legislative updates, or frequently you'll send out an alert if there's something really critical that needs calls to legislators also. When we do that, it's pretty rare. So when we do it, it needs to happen. We need action. We don't abuse those from both the perspective of hounding our members and we don't want to hound the legislature either. But when we call an action alert, it needs to happen. It needs to happen pretty quick. Denise, thank you. Sounds like you're going to have a busy year. We are. (laughs) Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO on almost any podcast platform that you use. We hope you do subscribe and continue to listen as we move forward with this important project for the construction industry. To access our prior podcasts, visit www.agcmo.org, not only for podcasts, but for additional information about AGC of Missouri.